No Regrets. Café Conversations with Madeline Smith in conversation with Bill Lawrence. Episode 6. And in this episode, Maddie takes another deep dive with me into her life. Talking about her work in children's television, the perils of on-screen nudity, the difficulties of learning lines and first-night nerves, and appearing on television celebrity quiz shows. Welcome, Maddie, here to the cafe for another conversation for your podcast. And for this episode, I'd like to start our deep dive into your life and career by asking you to tell us something about your work in an area that you are perhaps less well known for, but it's quite an extensive part of your career, and that is in children's film and in children's television in particular. I love working for and with children to the extent that probably one of my favourite things I ever did when my daughter was at junior school, they asked me to come in and prepare some rather fun and I hope, I hope funny assemblies uh, and I did all, all sorts of things. Uh, so uh, what I did for the wonderful Clive Doig, two programmes, The Deceivers and Eureka, very much along those lines. Clive is now 80 and he's still a child and that is what I love about him. He is ever youthful. When I did a program called Why Didn't They Ask Evans, which was a super Agatha Christie adaptation by London Weekend Television, Clive Doig had seen this and thought, ah, she's not just tits on legs, maybe she can actually act. Let's have a try. So he offered me the very first series he did along these lines. He'd done lots of other things like Jigsaw and a, a, a program for the deaf. The wonderful Clive Doig was going to do a children's television a program called The Deceivers about con men and tricksters. And it was made by the BBC in Manchester and this was 1979. I know that because I was about to start my English degree at Goldsmiths. He had Jeremy Beadle, the wonderful Jeremy Beadle. That's pre-Game for a Laugh, pre-any of those wonderful shows that Jeremy did. And he had the wonderful Jeremy Beadle as presenter. And what Clive did was to choose a troupe of actors, a very small troupe, like a, like a travelling players, if you like, of uh, Bernard Holly, Mike Savage myself and then as we were the regulars uh, he then had the wonderful Sylvester McCoy who was actually who is actually a very good friend of Clive's and uh, other occasional visiting actors Jacqueline Clark lovely lady yes so so we were a, a band of actors oh and another one Philip Fox oh my goodness an amazing talent we did this this series with the glorious Clive Doig and it was just bliss for me because suddenly I wasn't just the foil, 
I had to really learn a lot of lines, a lot of different accents, and a lot of wonderful, fascinating stories, you know, about paintings being stolen, all sorts of, all con men and tricksters. So then Clive decided that he was going to move to London uh, with, with his shows, and he was going to do one about inventions. And that led to several series of Eureka, and again, same little band of actors, the wonderful, wonderful Sylvester McCoy, pre-Doctor Who. I love Sylvester. And you will never see Sylvester without his hat. If you ask him why he wears his hat, he gets very hurt. His hat is actually like his eyes. He, I think he sees through his hat. I love him. He's so talented and so underestimated somehow, Sylvester. Clive writes these programs, he produces them, and he directs them, and he is an absolute joy. And I made, oh, several of these series, and uh, it, when we were rehearsing, and I'm never particularly quick with learning my lines, lovely Mike Savage one day opened the window uh, in our lovely rehearsal room in Horn Lane and threw the script out all the way down all the many flights of stairs and it landed on the ground beneath and I jolly well had to carry on without it and a very good thing too. I have remained friends with Clive who met and married a lovely lady called Julia Binstead while he was making it and a very successful marriage that has been. That has been one of my favourite things ever and people, grown men, come up to me now and say, hello, Maddie, I recognise you. I actually grew up with you and I learned so much about inventions. We did the history of Monopoly, dishwashers, washing machines, sewing machines, and making it fun and funny. And the other day, I actually met in Kingston Market, of all things, I met a lovely guy. In fact, it wasn't even the other day. It was a couple of days ago. And he said, hello, Maddie. He said, I designed the museum set for Clive Doig. My name is John Esridge. And they were the happiest days of my life, he said, working for Clive Doig. Isn't that nice? The lovely set designer to say that to me. So, And, and I would say that work, working with kids, it, it, probably the, the nicest things ever. To be an actor, you have to get rid of your ego. You have to reduce your ego and you have to have the mind and enthusiasm of a child. You have to be open-eyed and you have to take yourself back to what it was like when you were a child. You've got to be open to anything and everything. To be battered and bruised as an actor to not mind what you do and who you are with. For example, I'll give you a little example of this. I was warned years and years and years ago how Peter Wingard would be a very difficult actor to work with. And my very first scene with Peter Wingard in a program called Jason King, I had to literally hurl myself at him on a chaise long, not even hello Peter Wingard, I'm Madeline Smith, just Oh, hello, you gorgeous creature. And I had to ki kiss him and cuddle him and whatever else I had to do with him on a chaise long. And that is what acting is all about. Or with Roger, climb straight into bed with him, as I think we did on day one, minute number one, and canoodle and cuddle up and, you know, whatever <laughs> then ensues. So that's what acting is all about. You must have no inhibitions and you can't say no. So if they ask you to take your clothes off, as they did in The Vampire Lovers, ideally 
say yes, get on with it, get rid of your inhibitions and go home and take the money and be happy. You mentioned me before you knew some people from children's television that you had worked with in particular an actress from Blue Peter yes the lovely Sarah Green there's not a lot that I can say about that beautiful lady she's absolutely straight as a die she was married to Mike Smith they both started a, um, a helicopter company together and they had the most dreadful crash both recovered uh, thank God they both recovered and tragically he died recently. She's a complete sweetheart. She was the presenter after Jeremy Beadle. I think he went off to do Game for a Laugh and became terribly famous. Never big-headed, may I add. Absolutely lovely man. And Sarah kind of took over and also participated in the acting. She's actually a very fine actress, is Sarah, and became a real friend. Yeah, I love her. I love her very much. You mentioned your struggle with learning lines. So did you have a particular <laughs> method that you found could get you through? I know that um, Arthur Lowe was also someone who was notorious for struggling to learn his lines. So what is it that you found uh, was, made it possible for you? What worked for you? Well, I don't, unfortunately, have a photographic memory. And it's actors who have a photographic memory that ha have more of a facility with it. They have to become embedded and they have to become a part of me. I have to make the lines my own. And uh, one of my problems is that I do write s silly, dim little articles occasionally, you know, for the oldie magazine and the lady and things like that. Uh, and one of the things is, and, and probably my, the main reason that I did an English degree is that I love to write little bits and bobs. And I wanted to improve all that. I hope I did. So when I'm learning lines, my stupid brain is rewriting them. Not necessarily for the better, but that is my main problem. That I have real problems doing it by rote without making them mine. And that's also an excuse because I'm also a very, very slow learner and I have to have a victim. So a victim that I can throw the lines at and then they'll read with me and throw them back at me and criticize me. So I have to find a bod to do them with me. And if I don't have a bod, I'm totally desperate. So that's that. And as for darling Arthur, it's not that he couldn't learn lines. It's that he didn't really bother. And I actually heard it on a documentary recently, I think from his son, that uh, what a lovely son he has as well, may I add, what a lovely guy. He said that dad would be looking at the lines in the cab. Uh, and I think that's probably quite true. He didn't really bother. He certainly wouldn't over-rehearse Darling Arthur. And uh, he was always fine on the night. <laughs> I think.
without mentioning any names, is it possible for you to tell us about the sort of things you didn't like, people's behaviours or traits or ways of working that, that just didn't work for you or that didn't work for other people as well? Was it, has there been times of difficulty without mentioning any names? Uh, I, I haven't had a lot of difficulty. I, uh, and there's no real need to, to mention names. There have been times when I've felt acutely embarrassed, like for example, uh, I can mention names here, um, when I was in habeas corpus and, and I was being fitted, um, everybody else had to, had to go away and I was being fitted for the underwear, for, for underwear scene with Alec Guinness. And I do remember that this was awfully embarrassing for me, lovely director Ron Eyre and Alec, both equally embarrassed, sort of going around like an alley cat, sort of touring my body really, to have a look to see how, how I looked and appraise the way that it came over. He want, uh, Ron wanted me to look like a cut-out doll. For, for whatever reason so that I looked you know little girls used to used to cut out their dolls clothes in in paper and then with little tags they used to sort of put them over the shoulders and stuff um, and they wanted me f uh, don't ask me why because I never did understand at the time they wanted me to look like a cut out paper doll uh, in this particular scene I don't know whether it worked like that or whether that ever came over I did find that acutely embarrassing but I think they were as embarrassed as I was to be honest and I and I haven't I think I've already mentioned really the unfortunate incidents that I've had because on the whole the people that I've worked with have been pretty dreamy actually I think um, Frank Thornton very much enjoyed me giving him the kiss of life every night when he lay on the floor prostate and I had to give him the kiss of life and he did put his hands on, on my shoulders one day and say something uh, very nice, uh, very pleasant indeed, but not in a lascivious way at all. In other words, implying that he did enjoy it. And of course, I had to give him a sort of kick every night because he suffered from the sleeping disease, did Frank Thornton. Everybody loves him, quite rightly. Yes, he used to sit down next to the stage, you know, before his next scene, bless his darling heart, and I had to actually uh, kick, you know, be, be quite rough with him to get him back onto the stage. Yeah, he, ne he needed me. And I will tell you something else, that dear Patricia Hayes, whom everybody loves from Edna the Inebriate, had so many entrances and exits that even after a year, the lovely girl with whom I'm immensely friendly, who was my understudy um, and also ASM, assistant stage manager on Habeas Corpus, used to have to point... A Patricia uh, into the into the right little cubby hole for for making her entrances every night. She could never never find her way even even right towards the end of the run. So that I love all these little little backstage things. And of course, Alec Guinness. Ah, yes. Alec, wonderful actor. I've already made that very very clear. But. He would not have every, anybody in his eyeline, and he made such a scene. He would have no programs uh, visible from the boxes or in the audience. He would stop the play, and he would have them removed. And he also would make absolutely sure that no body, that is no bod, was standing in the wings in his eyeline. And that is even after a year. You would think that it would be by rote, but it wasn't. 
So, you know, the, the, these are the idiosyncrasies of very famous, very established actors. You know, they, they, they all, all of them suffer terribly from nerves. Amazing, isn't it? Not just on the first night. So, Maddie, you, you do suffer from nerves? Was there any ever time that you just thought, I'm too nervous to do this, but of course then you, you did it. But was there any yes. occasion that you, you really yes. had problems with nerves? I don't like first nights because of my line learning thing, but I get over that and that's okay and that, that's always gone without a hitch. But there, there was a job that I had to walk away from. Um, it was going to be at the white, I mean, to my shame. So here we go. Uh, a very fine play uh, based on truth. Can't remember the name of it to save my life. I guess I've forgotten it. A play about a woman, a genuine lady, a woman who uh, murdered babies. It was a baby, that, I mean, there's a term for it, a baby something home. You know, little little unmarried mothers would bring, would bring the babies and she would bump them off. I was asked by a very nice director, lovely guy. He thought it would be interesting to cast me against type. And this was the White Bear in uh, Vauxhall, lovely pub, a little theatre at the back there. And I've never, ever had this experience in my life. I couldn't remember even the first line. It was so hateful, and I had to do a, a scene with a young girl where I fought her with a poker, a really quite serious, I mean, it was choreographed. I found it so unpleasant and so distasteful, and these girls, these young girls, these young actresses were so lovely, and I know this is highly unprofessional, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I genuinely was not able to get rid of the script at all. I couldn't, as I say, I couldn't even learn the first line, and that's really saying something. So finally, I had to take the director by the hand, and we sat in a lovely little square there, and I said to him, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And he said, well, yes, because unless you're going to go on with the book on the first night, I'm afraid this is curtains. And I said, it certainly is curtains. Can you find somebody to replace me? I can't do this part. Not because I'm a goody-goody or anything. I simply could not take into my soul this woman. I don't know whether I was being visited by ghosts or spirits myself. The fact that it was a true story or what it was. I was unable to learn these lines. And he very sweetly said, okay. And uh, away I went. And they got a very fine actress. And I think they had a lot of success with it. And I think they took it on elsewhere. And I know he's very proud of it. But there we are. So that's not something I'm proud of, but there you are, that's a true story. That, that's the one time I had to throw in the towel. And what a relief it was. I was worried out of my mind, quite literally. I couldn't sleep, I was so concerned. And I like to be totally professional. I've even done a play at the Open Space Theatre for Charles Maravitz, the one who did my first play, where we actually were so up against the time because he had no budget at the open space, we actually rehearsed all night. And the little costume lady also sat up all night, hand sewing our costumes. So, you know, I've, I've been through the mill for this thing. I really have. Um, I've also been snowed up when we were in the mousetrap. All of London was, was snowed up. I had to drive the little costume lady in to a totally silent, London, and that was winter, the beginning of 1990, if anybody remembers it, 89 into 90, incredible, like lockdown, only worse. So um, I've had some times, I've had some off times, but that's the only time that I've said I can't do the job. Mm -hmm.
Well, thanks for being so honest about that, Maddie. So, the next question. In recent years, we've seen you back on the telly and we've seen you on a number of competitions or quizzes. And you won pointless, didn't you? A triumph. Tell us about that experience. Oh, that was heaven. That was with Stephanie Beecham. I don't know how that happened. It's a terrifying programme. It's a wonderful programme, but I warn anybody that's going to do it, you will be very nervous. I did it the first time and got 100 points, and getting 100 points means zero, and went home. The second time, I thought, that's very brave of them to ask me back, and then, oh boy, my face lit up when it was Stephanie Beecham and me. Oh my, I adore that lady. Uh, she starred in a film with Ava Gardner, in which I had a small part in 1969, and I absolutely love her. She is so talented, that lady and so funny and so sardonic and so okay away with us and she was blissfully sardonic all the time all those little asides to me and to the audience oh brilliant and i just thought i'm just going to have a ball here and somehow please don't ask me how <laughs> there we are at the, were at the end and i have a very very nice rather rectangular block of glass to show for it and I said to Stephanie at the end you know you and I should do stuff together we just bounce off each other so well and uh, and they did say to us you know this is one of the better shows that we, we've ever made because just just because not because we're so brilliant but just because you're so funny together and she reminded me of those times with my friend Anne you know when I was a kid just took me right back to childhood again and 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 once again that business of 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 being childlike in this business you know forget the audience forget your nerves and of course I also did mastermind I think Bill's forgotten I did mastermind where I didn't excel I'd learned all about Kew Gardens very detailed really you know all about Augusta and George III and all their children and the Kew Palace and all this stuff and of course the questions were so easy and I'd learnt all this complex stuff and was completely thrown. And I was also looking into John Humphrey's wonderful blue eyes, I'll be honest. I didn't do very well, but I did enjoy it hugely and recommend it to anybody. Have a go, go on it, and you'll be a lot better than I was. Now, I do remember your performance on Mastermind. I just didn't know whether I should mention it or not. Uh, only just. <laughs> One last thing I'd like to ask you for this, this uh, podcast is if you were to write your autobiography or someone was to write your biography in which you had the uh, ability to choose the title for it, what do you think you would call your biography stroke autobiography? Sketchbook of a very small star. Episode 6 of No Regrets with Madeline Smith.